welcome once again to uh, North Park Church online, I guess you can say, as we just continue to navigate these new waters together. Um, in the video that you just saw, we continue to celebrate that Jesus is our King, that He's on the throne, uh, that there's no one like Him, and uh, we thank you for joining us today to study His Word. While we can't gather to worship today, we can study the Word of our King and see what He has to say to us. And, you know, these really are... They're trying times, and every day seems a little bit different as we, we learn new things every week. Individuals, organizations, businesses, government, and yes, churches are living in a new world right now, and we're just simply trying to learn how to navigate it the best way that we can. And as Christ followers, we know that we have a unique responsibility in these seasons to be salt and to be light. Uh, we have a responsibility to, to glorify God with the way we deal with the circumstances, with the way we minister to others, and to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, church, um, to be wise in these days, to, to heed the cautions that are being given to us. Uh, this is one way that we can love our neighbors. And if, if you're in a higher at-risk category due to your age or having a compromised immune system, once again, let me remind you, take those extra precautions. It's wise in these days. But let me also say, just to believers in general, and to, especially to us as a church family, that history is going to mark this season. My great-grandchildren are going to read about this pandemic in their history books. Let's make sure that the Christian church is highlighted as being especially vigilant, especially loving, and yes, especially generous in these days. Uh, let's, let's realize that we're living in history. Let's pray for a great awakening in our nation and across the world at this time. Let's pray for revival in our local churches. Uh, while we can't gather in person like we normally would, let's be faithful to study God's Word together, uh, to, to connect, connect with one another, to check on one another, and to live on mission, loving our neighbors, doing the things that we know that we're called to do. Before we pray, I want to invite you... Um, to, to continue to worship with us through your giving if you're, if you're a regular part of our North Park family. One way we continue to partner together, even while we're apart, is through our giving. And let me just say thank you to those who have been faithful to continue to give in these times. And just uh, want to remind you that you can continue to worship through your giving at GoNorthPark.com. That's GoNorthPark.com. Follow the giving links. And that's a great way for us to stay connected and to stay committed to our mission. So let's go pray now. And let's ask God for his help, for his wisdom, for his grace and strength in these days, but let's especially ask him to bless our time together in his word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful today uh, for your goodness and your kindness to us. You are a good God. You are a faithful God. You are a generous God. You are a kind God. And, and Lord, none of what's taking place in the world around us has caught you by surprise. Uh, you are a sovereign God, and we thank you for that. And we take heart in the fact that when we don't necessarily understand everything or, or even know exactly what tomorrow holds, that, that we know you and we can trust you and, and that you are powerful and that your heart is good and kind, and we, we praise you for that. We pray for strength for your church in these days to be the salt and light that you've called us to be. We pray for wisdom for our leaders in these days that they would make good choices. And we pray for those right now who are suffering, uh, whether it be from illness or whether it be from economic impact for this. Lord, we just pray for your grace and mercy uh, to be showered on them in these times and help us to, to minister to people in these days. 
And we pray now, especially for our time in your word, as we open your word together, we pray for your Holy Spirit to, to be our teacher right where we sit in our home or at our kitchen table, wherever we may be and wherever we may be hearing this message. We pray that, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us there and help us to understand it, uh, the truth of your word, to apply it, to walk in it. And we pray for you would continue to make us more like Jesus. And for those of us that are tuning in that do not have a relationship with Jesus, Lord, we pray uh, that you would draw people to yourself and, and draw people to trust in Christ today as their hope. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. today, a three-week series called The Resurrected King, and we're going to camp out in what is Matthew 27 and Matthew 28, um, today through Easter, and we're really studying the last hours of Jesus' life, his death, and then his resurrection. You know, we believe um, Jesus to be the King of Kings, the, the one true King, the Son of God, the ruler of heaven and earth. There's no one like Jesus, and he is, in fact, as we've titled the series, he is the Resurrected King. However, that title conveys something else. Just like we celebrate on Easter, for Jesus to be resurrected, something else had to have happened. He had to die. For him to be the resurrected king, he had to be the crucified king. And you know, just like there could be no resurrection without death, for the king of kings to come to the world and to ultimately die, something else had to have happened. He had to be rejected by his very creation. In the next three weeks, we will study the rejection, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of King Jesus. You know, in these days, with suffering and brokenness all around us, it's important for us to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, He has entered into our brokenness. He has not remained distant from us. He came and He experienced rejection and death and suffering for us. He came and defeated sin, death, and hell. He rose again in victory over these things. And we do not serve a king, though, who is unable to sympathize with us. We serve one who has walked in our shoes, yet without sin. So maybe today you need hope. Let me tell you, the resurrected king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one who gives lasting hope. We've seen the world around us. Man, the the things that we can put our hope in in this world can easily be taken away. The the one foundation we can build our life on that, that will not be shaken is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the world was never darker, never seemed more hopeless than when the king of kings, Jesus Christ, was being rejected by mankind. By his own creation. It never seemed darker than when he was being crucified, bearing the judgment of God for our sin. It never seemed darker than when he was laid in the tomb and it seemed that the king of glory was was dead. And he was dead. It was a dark time. A seemingly hopeless one. But we know three days later he rose from the dead and his resurrection reminds us that our God has conquered suffering and he's conquered death. And our God is a God that gives us hope. So look with me at Matthew 27. We're going to kind of make our way through the passage. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to skip down through verses 11 through 31. I'm going to kind of walk and comment as we go. And then I'm going to give you some takeaways from what we can learn about the, re- the, the rejection of King Jesus. So look at me. Look with me in Matthew 27, verse 1 and 2. 
So when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Let's pause there. Let's catch up on what's happening at this point in Matthew. The, the chief priests and the elders, who are these guys? Well, this is the Jewish leadership of that day, and they have decided to put Jesus to death. Now, how did we get there? Well, if you were to back up to Matthew 21, you would see Palm Sunday takes place, the, in the beginning of the Passion Week. Jesus enters Jerusalem and is celebrated as a king. He goes on to, to cleanse the temple. And obviously, the Jewish leaders did not like that. They did not, not like his holiness exposing their hypocrisy. So finally, the Jewish religious leaders conspire to kill Jesus. They've disliked him. They've hated him. They've wanted to put an end to him. And they finally have drawn a line in the sand. They've grown very envious of him. And they want him stopped. So Judas Iscariot betrays the Lord Jesus Christ, one of his own disciples, for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus is ultimately arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested, and he's taken before the Jewish council, and, you know, they sought false, false accusations against him. They, they actually found two men to say that Jesus threatened to destroy the temple. Now, Jesus had actually predicted his death. He had predicted the destruction of the temple of his body, and he had prophesied to some of his disciples that ultimately the temple would be destroyed, but he had not personally threatened to do this. That, they, were take, they, 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 were, they were taking and, and raising false accusations against him. And ultimately, Jesus is asked before the Jewish council if he's the Christ. And here's how he responds in Matthew 26. He says in verse 64, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying this. I'm not just the Messiah from, a, from the human perspective. I'm God. I'm God in the flesh, and I have, I have come, and I will come, and I will reign over all, and I will ultimately judge the world. What he is pointing out is, as is, 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 is Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller points out, that Jesus was indicating that the true judge of the world was being judged by the world, that a great reversal had taken place, and the one who ultimately will judge all was being judged by his creation at this point. And ultimately, the gospel accounts show us that Jesus was put through three Jewish trials and three Roman trials. Both Jew and Gentile all had a place in condemning Jesus to death here in the gospel, of, in, in the gospel accounts. Now, in verse 11, we pick up with Jesus before the Roman governor, Pilate. So look with me there. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do, do, you, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So let's pause there. Why is Jesus before the Roman governor? Well, the Jews were at this time under Roman rule. Pilate was placed by the Roman government uh, to be the governor over the region, and it was his job to keep the peace. It was his job to make sure there was no uprising, and it was his job to institute and carry out Roman law on the land. Now, the Jews at this time did not have the authority to carry out a death penalty. Also, under Roman law, blasphemy, which is what Jesus is ultimately being charged with by the Jews, was not worthy of the death penalty. The Romans, wasn't really, they weren't really concerned about that. So the Jewish leaders needed more if they were to get the Romans to do what they wanted done, which was to crucify Jesus. 
So Luke tells us in his gospel what they accused Jesus of. Matthew here in these verses is telling us they're accusing him of some things. But what were they accusing him of? Well, Luke gives us a peek into that. He says that they were accusing him of misleading the nation, of opposing paying taxes to Caesar, and claiming to be Christ the king. Uh, They were trying to paint Jesus as a threat to Rome, as a threat to Caesar, as a threat to Pilate, so that Pilate would crucify him. So let's pick up in verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So then they gathered Pilate, and when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Pause again. Pilate here realizes that there's not a legitimate reason to crucify Jesus. He has done nothing to warrant this under Roman law. He, so he gives them a choice. See, Jesus was a popular teacher. and Pilate may very well be thinking that's who the crowd would choose. I mean, there was a crowd that was just chanting as him as a king days before. So he offers to the crowd to release Jesus or this criminal, this notorious criminal, Barabbas, whom was a notorious insurrectionist, robber, and yes, the Gospels tell us, a murderer. Verse 20, now, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor asked, uh, again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So let's pause there. The crowd is persuaded here by the leaders. Influenced by their leaders, they they ask to release the murderer, whom was likely popular, by the way, due to the fact that he had antagonized Rome, was considered Rome his enemy. And so they, they, they release the murderers, what they're asking for here. And they're asking for the innocent Jesus, who's done nothing deserving death. Isn't that never even, the Bible tells us, never even committed a sin, never harmed anyone. They ask him... They ask him, they ask of him to be crucified. Pilate's even asking here, why? What evil has he done? Look at verse 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So here again, we have Pilate, a weak, incompetent leader, giving in, fearful of a riot that could cost him his job. He gives in, and he unjustly here, he gives in, has the Son of God crucified to satisfy an angry crowd. And the people that day were, were happy, it says here, to take on the responsibility for their actions. But they, man, they really didn't realize what was going on here, did they? Uh, they, they, they are asking for the Son of God to be crucified, whom here now they're just assuming to be an imposter. Now, Pilate, he's trying to avoid any responsibility here. We see him washing his hands, just symbolism there for saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. But notice he even has Jesus scourged here, beaten nearly to death. Pilate was a cruel monster in this as well. He's he's guilty. He can't avoid his responsibility. Look what happens next in verse 27. 
Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. So here we see the soldiers. These men, these Roman soldiers who were trained as experts in torture and death, they begin to mock Jesus. They dress him as a king in clear mockery with a crown of thorns, a scarlet robe symbolizing royalty, a a reed for a scepter. And they mock and spit on him. They hit him and they ultimately then dress him and lead him to the cross. And this is an just what a scene. Ultimately, we see here the culmination of both Jew and Gentile, of mankind rejecting Jesus as king. But we know this was no accident. Uh, none of this was by happenstance. The, this was God's plan. God sent his son into the world to die. Jesus willingly came into the world knowing he was coming to die. His life wasn't taken from him. He laid his life down. This was God's plan. What man meant here for evil, God meant for good. So here we have a dark hour being used for good. We have a dark situation where it looks like evil will triumph, but God ultimately uses it for good. So what are some things we can learn about the rejection of our king here? Three things I want us to take away from this. Number one, Jesus identifies with the rejected. Jesus can identify with the rejected. Listen, rejection stings. Uh, Everything in our human nature hates rejection. Even on the small side, having an idea that you present at work rejected rejected, can hurt, can sting. On the larger side, having someone say, I don't love you when they're supposed to love you, stings. It hurts. It, it breaks. You know, I, was, I remember as a kid that nothing stung like feeling like you didn't fit in. <laughs> Everything about our human nature hates rejection, hates being rejected, whether it's as as a kid or a teenager from the cool crowd or whatever it may be, whether it's some sort of rejection at work or some sort of romantic rejection. People hate being rejected. But look at what we see here. In this passage, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, rejected by His creation? The agent of creation, the eternal word, the king of glory, arrested, people plotting and then pleading for his death, soldiers mocking and spitting on him. Jesus being rejected by both Jew and Gentile here. The one person that everyone should love, that everyone should accept, that everyone should follow, that everyone should embrace, yes, obey, even worship. He's being despised. He's being rejected. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been hated without real cause? Unloved by someone who should love you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever suffered unjustly? See, Jesus can identify. You see, sometimes we identify with rejection due to some mistake or sin on our own. Sometimes our own sins, our own problems, our own hang-ups lead to some forms of rejection in our life. But that's not what's happening with Jesus here. He's innocent. He's done nothing to deserve this. And if you've ever been rejected and suffered unjustly, Jesus knows what that's like. 
And it's important for us to know that Jesus can identify with us. Listen, it's human nature to sort of turn people off when we don't think they can relate to us. For instance, when when election seasons roll around, many people will vote for the politician a lot of times that they feel like best relates to them, the one they feel like they can hang out with. Because we want to think people understand our problems. We want to think that that, that they can relate to us. How many teenagers, many times, refuse to listen to their parents because somehow in their mind they've got it stuck in their head that their parents don't know what it's like to be a teenager. Although to be their, their parents' age, they obviously had to live through the teenage years. Meanwhile, the best teachers, the best coaches, the best leaders tend to be those who can relate. People think, oh, you you get me. There's some way in which you're like me. You can identify with my circumstance. And what I want you to hear me say today, and what what we, we need to hear, what the world to hear us say today, is that Jesus gets you. He became like you, but without sin. To the point that he was even rejected and experienced rejection, even though he had done nothing wrong. You know, this reminds us of the bigger principle, that Jesus can identify with our experience in a broken world. He can identify with our experience in a broken world. He has suffered and felt pain. He has felt emotional, physical, and spiritual pain. He has done so in a unique way as one without any sin, without any guilt. Now, I I don't know what you're going through today. But when you hurt and when you're rejected and when you're unloved by those that should love you, don't buy into the lie that God can't identify. That somehow Jesus is irrelevant. That's one of the lies Satan loves to sell people is that Jesus is not relevant for their life. That God is not relevant for their life. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is relevant. Listen to Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Listen, Jesus has been a teenager. He's been a single adult. He's been near death. He's been in pain. He's had enemies and persecutors and haters. Jesus can identify with you when you suffer. He's identified with suffering and pain and, yes, rejection. And Jesus, Jesus can identify with you. He's walked in your shoes but without sin. So what, 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 are you, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying so go to him and call to him and look to him and trust him and know that you go to one who can identify. But there's another thing we need to learn from this. Number two, we need to remember that we have all rejected Jesus. We might not like to think about that or talk about that, but it's true. In one sense, you see on display here in Matthew 27 a picture of what all of humanity has done. We have rejected God. We have rejected Christ. Man's natural posture since sin entered the world is to simply turn away from God, to not trust Him, to not believe He is good. Our natural posture is rejection. Before we can identify with Jesus, we have to identify with the rejectors in the story. Before we can have our identity placed in Christ, we have to understand, first of all, that we have rejected his reign over our life, and we've sought to be our own kings. Uh, Look at the way these people rejected the Christ. Let's just kind of go through the group here. First of all, there's the religious leaders, the ones that bring Jesus to Pilate. The religious leaders, those who should be pointing people to the Messiah, are conspiring against him, rallying a crowd even to to chant crucify him. They remind us, listen, that you and I can be religiously zealous and reject Christ. You can be religiously zealous and reject Christ. It doesn't matter how zealous, how committed to our religious traditions we are. If we reject the authority of Jesus Christ over our lives, we've missed the point. We've missed him. 
If we don't bow our hearts and bow our lives before Jesus as king, then our religious zeal is just zeal without knowledge, without real understanding of who we're dealing with. Listen, beware. You can creatively reject Christ. It doesn't always look the same in different lives. You can be willing to look godly and good on the outside while refusing to really allow him to reign over your heart and life. Refusing to submit to him as king. Refusing to really obey him. Refusing to really trust him for your eternity and with your life. So religious leaders remind us that you can be religiously zealous and reject Christ. And then there's the crowd. The crowd. Look how easily swayed the crowd was. They, they're cheering to release Barabbas and crucify the very Messiah. Why? The leaders led them that way. I mean, it's amazing. They remind us that our hearts have been and can be led away from Christ. That we can be led to choose ourselves and our idols or even evil things over Christ. You know, over the years in ministry, from time to time you'll see someone indicate that they want to follow Christ. They, they make a decision. Maybe they get baptized. Maybe they start coming to church. They seem very interested. And then over the course of time, that tends to wane. And they find themselves very distracted from that. And they find themselves, you know, at some point they decide, you know what? If following Jesus means this, I can't follow Jesus. And they choose another path. And they, they would rather have some idol or some sin instead of Jesus. And they ultimately walk away from Jesus. And they walk away from his church. Because ultimately they don't want Jesus reigning over their life. Their, their heart's been swayed another way. Listen, we, we're fickle people. Easily swayed by the world. We need deep heart change. Deep heart change. We need Jesus to transform our hearts and our lives. John Calvin said that the heart is an idle factory. I think that's true. It's, we, we need the transformation of the heart so we can see and savor the beauty of Christ. And to recognize and submit to his authority. So the crowd reminds us that our hearts have been and can be led away from Christ. And then look at Pilate. Look at Pilate washing his hands of the situation, so to speak. A symbol saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. This is on you guys. It's not on me. This is your thing. I have nothing to do with it. Probably disturbed even by his wife's dream. But he most certainly was responsible as well. He's trying to dodge responsibility, to not deal with the reality of the very situation before him, which is that the Son of God stands before him and he's about to have him crucified. See, Pilate reminds us that one way we can reject Christ is simply trying to dodge dealing with him. Some people don't want to reject. They don't want to accept. They simply want to not make a decision and to not be responsible for the decision they make. See, but not receiving Jesus as king and Lord over your life is simply a rejection of who he is. I've already said it. Our natural posture is rejection. If we do nothing, we're rejecting him. We need to repent, to turn away from our sin, and to trust Christ. We must all decide what we're going to do with this king. And then there's the soldiers. Look at the soldiers mocking Jesus, placing the crown of thorns, the robe on him, the reed in his hand, spitting on him, hitting him, expressing cruel hate towards the Son of God. The soldiers remind us that some today choose to mock the things of God, choose to mock Christ. It's not hard to see this in our world and in our culture. People who curse and mock Christ, people who think of him as a fairy tale, a legend, who make fun, who... who who make jokes where Jesus is the punchline, people who hate and persecute Christians, the mockers. But also let me say, that's not the only way to mock God. If we live our lives like we won't give an account to God, 
that's an attempt to mock God as well. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Strong words from the Apostle Paul there. We need to be reminded that death and judgment are real, that people will reap what they sow, that you cannot mock God and get away with it. We must all give an account because the one that Pilate is sitting on the judgment seat before judging ultimately is the judge of the world. And God has proved it. We're going to see in a couple of weeks by raising him from the dead and all will have to give an account to him. He's the true judge. Here's my point. We can look at this scene and say, how could they have the Messiah Or excuse me, we can't look at this scene and say, how can they have the Messiah? How can they have the King of Kings? How can they have God in the flesh in front of them right there and reject him? (laughs) How can Pilate have the Son of God standing in front of him and wash his hands and send him off to be crucified? How can the crowd chant crucify him? How can the religious leaders who had studied the Torah, how can they miss and how can they not recognize the truth of who Jesus is? We, We can't sit in the comfort of our homes and point our fingers at them because we've all had our own opportunities, and we've all rejected Christ in some form or fashion at one time or another. We've all had creation screaming at us the glory of God, yet rejected God. We've all had God's Word declaring to us who God is and who Christ is, and we've rejected His authority over our lives. It's true. We've all chosen comfort, security, money and power, pleasure and self-interest over Jesus at some point. We've all rejected Jesus as king and tried to make Make, make ourselves our own king? Or try to make Jesus into our image instead of conforming into his image? We're in the same boat as those people 2,000 years ago. And that's simply this. We are sinners. And our rejection may look more passive or it may look more aggressive, but rejection is, aggr- is rejection. <laughs> right? You may not be shaking your fist at God, or maybe you are. Or maybe you're simply trying to dodge dealing with the truth of God's word, but we've all done it in some fashion. Passive, aggressive doesn't matter it's all sin listen the reason the world is in the mess that it is in the reason it's a broken place is because people have refused to recognize god's authority in our lives that's where our problem began in the garden when when the very first people rejected god's authority and refused to believe he was good and tried to be their own kings so to speak we we refuse to treat god as god This has never been more on full display than right here when he sent his son into the world and he's rejected by Jew and Gentile. He comes to his own and his own know him not. So we need to come to grips with our tendency to resist Jesus and his authority, to reject his reign. And we need to know the good news. That's number three. The third big takeaway here is this. Jesus was rejected that we may be received. Or accepted. Jesus was ex- rejected that we may be received, that we may be accepted ultimately what, by God. See, the great message of this text of the Bible is that Jesus came here to this world fully knowing what would happen, as we said earlier. He came to purposely lay down his life for us. He came knowing he would suffer, knowing he would die, knowing he would be rejected. He came knowing all these things. And the great message of the Bible is that while man meant all this for evil, God was using it for good. That this was God's plan to save us. That Jesus would be the sacrifice for our sins. That he would come and willingly lay down his life for us. See, in this story, we get an illustration of the heart of the gospel. Barabbas, in this story, is a cruel murderer, a guilty man, a true criminal. He's he's imprisoned justly. 
In fact, his name, an interesting thing about him is his name means son of a father. Right? In a lot of ways, he's very symbolic of humanity, right? We're all sons and daughters of a, of a father somewhere. And here we see Barabbas, this cruel murderer, whose name means son of a father, wicked and evil, deserving of judgment against his acts. But then there stands Jesus. Here's Jesus standing there innocent, the son of the father. Not a son of a father, the son of the father. He is treated as guilty, though he is innocent. And the guilty man is treated as innocent and goes free. And a big swap has been made. The righteous man dies and the guilty man goes free. What a picture of what ultimately happens in the gospel. Because ultimately what happens on the cross is that Jesus Christ, the innocent son of the Father, is punished for our sin. He's treated as guilty, though he's not. He bears our sin on the cross, takes the punishment of the wrath of God that you and I deserve, so that all those that put their trust in him, though guilty of great sin, can be declared righteous and go free. See, in fact, Jesus takes our sin And God gives us Jesus' righteousness. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He lived a righteous life in our place as well. He is our great substitute. And that is the heart of the gospel. Jesus substituting himself for us. Laying down his life for our sins so that we can go free. And the great news of the Bible is though we've rejected God's rule over our lives, that though we're sinners deserving of judgment, That God, yes, he sent his son to bear the judgment we deserve and the wrath we deserve on the cross. And three days later, he would rise from the dead, the resurrected king. And to all those that receive him, the Bible tells us, he gives the right to become children of God. If you don't reject him, but rather you receive him by faith, he gives you the right to become children of God. Let me ask you, have you received him? Have you received him? To not receive him? is to reject him. Jesus stands ready to save. If you'll call on him, he'll save you. If you'll look to him in faith, if you'll make the decision right now to to turn away from your sin and embrace Christ as the Son of God who lived a sinless life, died in your place on the cross and rose again. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll turn away from your sin and believe right now, he'll save you. Call to him. Go to him right now. Pause. Stop. Pray. Call on God. Ask him to save you if you've not done that. In fact, if, if, you're, if you're watching this right now through our gonorthpark.com, excuse me, gonorthpark.online.church portal that you've probably came through through our gonorthpark.com domain, if you're watching through that portal right now at the top right corner, there's a connection card and you can click it and you can let us know about your decision or you can let us know that you have questions. If you're not, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, something like that, then, then send us an email at info at gonorthpark.com and let us know that you trusted Christ, or that you've got questions about trusting Christ. We want to help. We'd love to help. Now, believer, the rejection of Christ reminds us that Jesus identifies with our suffering, our pain. He identifies us with, with, with our rejection. He identifies with us as, as when, we, when we suffer, and it reminds us that we were, we were once rejectors of Christ and His rule. That even now we are capable of resisting his reign over areas of our life. That we need to constantly be bringing our lives under the reign of Jesus as king. And not resisting his lordship. And it reminds us of the great message that we have believed. And the message we have to share with the world. That Jesus is our substitute. That he came to save us. That the son of God has been rejected. That we might be received. And that's incredible news that we need to share with the world around us. 
You know, we have the greatest news on the planet right now. We have a message that relates. We have, we have a king. We have a savior. We have a God that relates. You know, we should be the people in this season who are filled with joy, who have incredible peace. We should be looking for opportunities to share the gospel because people are looking for answers. This is our time, church. The church of Jesus Christ has a message for a weary world, and it's look to King Jesus. He has come, and hope is broken into our sin-sick world, and Jesus stands ready to save and to rescue. There's nothing better than having Jesus rule over your heart and life. The, the heart where Jesus reigns is the happy heart. Look to Jesus. We, can, we need to share that message with the world. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the message of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus came to save and that he stands ready to save today. And I pray if there's anyone today that's listening to this message that has never turned away from their sin and believed on Christ as Lord and Savior, if there's anyone that's resisting Jesus or rejecting Christ as Lord, that right now that, that they'd make the decision to trust and follow Jesus, that they'd call on him to save them. And I pray for your church today, Lord. I pray especially for North Park and, and Lord, for churches in our city and really all over the world, that you would help us to be the salt and light you've called us to be and to share the message of the gospel with people. That we'd realize as we go through these difficult situations that we have a God that can relate. We have a Savior who's not remained distant. He's, in, distant. He's entered into the pain of this world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our King. Thank you that he not only died for us, that he rose again. Help us to be the ambassadors of Christ that you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, in the days ahead, I ask that you stay tuned to GoNorthPark.com, to our church email blast and other forms of communication, our Facebook page about happenings with North Park and things related to the coronavirus. If you have a need that we can help with at this time, please reach out and let us know. Email us at info at gonorthpark.com. Call the church office. Message me. Let us know how we can help. We want to serve you at this time. And let's be mindful of how we can serve one another, how we can serve our neighbors in these days. The world needs the church to be the church right now. We are, we are Christ ambassadors, salt and light in these days. So let's shine brightly for him. Let's love and serve and share boldly and courageously the good news of the gospel. And let's be wise and good citizens because that's part of our witness for Christ's sake. If you're a North Park member and you, or you're someone who's been blessed by our ministry and you'd like to give during this season, you can do that at gonorthpark.com. Uh, this season is a good one to explore the benefits of online giving. If you haven't done that, it's just a way to stay connected. Um, it's easy. It's simple. It's the way I give every week. And it's a great way for us to stay together, connected together on mission during this season, church, at gonorthpark.com. And remember, God's at work right now. All over the world, all over our nation, in our city, God's at work. So let's not miss out. Let's look for ways to serve. Let's be, let's be sure to be on the front lines in all the ways that we can during this time. Let me encourage you to, to like and share our message today and use it as a way to evangelize, as a way to share the gospel with your friends and your neighbors. It's the best news on the planet. Until the next time we can meet, I'm praying for you, church. We love you. And we hope to be able to gather together in person real soon. But until then, I'll see you online, hopefully, again next week for another message from God's Word. Take care.